This is all theater. This is all just political theater. Political theater. Political theater. Pure political theater. Theater. Political theater. The nefarious, significant, and protracted political, political, political theater for political theater's sake. I yield back. From Washington, this is Political Theater. Roll Call's review of the spectacle of politics on Capitol Hill and across the country. I'm Jason Dick. As Donald Rumsfeld once eternally put, there are known knowns, things that we know we know. There are known unknowns, things that we know we don't know. And unknown unknowns, things we don't know that we don't know which makes it kind of perfect to talk with our friend Nathan Gonzalez, our elections analyst here at Roll Call and the publisher of Inside Elections, about what are some of the known knowns we know about the upcoming midterm elections. Nathan, uh, good to talk to you. I understand that you are in beautiful Columbus, Ohio right now. I wouldn't want to be anyplace else. It's actually a wonderful place. But I will not let any mileage separate me from being with you talking on a podcast, Jason. <laughs> my my best memory of Columbus, and I actually have some very nice memories of them dating back to my time uh, with the AmeriCorps program uh, in the early 2000s, uh, was just this year we went to a Columbus Clippers minor league baseball uh, game, and it was it actually there was a squirrel that got loose on the field that led to even uh, ESPN highlights. Uh, they, you know, it was one of those moments just made for uh, ESPN eight the Ocho. So uh, it, I, I, I'm a, I'm a big fan of the Ohio's capital city. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm all in. I think I am in the one of the nicest hotel rooms in Columbus, Ohio. So I can't complain. You know, we are just days away from election day. I mean, it's saying election day is almost sort of a misnomer because you know, mil- tens of millions of people have already voted. They've they've taken advantage of early voting, or to vote absentee. So, election day is sort of more the culmination. It's like Super Bowl Sunday. You know, you've had two weeks of like you know the lead up to the Super Bowl at that point. Um, but it seems like what we have seen in the last couple of weeks, at least, is at least in public polling things seem to be trending towards some of the Republican candidates in the closest races that we're, we're witnessing. Is that, is that sort of jive with what you have, have seen in, in your travels and your studies? It feels like we are back to what we thought these midterm elections were going to be um, a year ago. You know, I, Republicans are going to have a good night. The question is, are they going to have a great night, which would mean even bigger gains in the House and winning the Senate? Uh, the Senate is... Uh, a little bit more complicated. I think Republicans made the Senate more difficult than it needed to be by running a few underwhelming general election campaigns in some key states. Uh, but what we certainly, I think the, you know, things were on track for Republicans to have a good year in a typical midterm election where voters vo- uh, voice disapproval with the sitting president. The Dobbs decision did galvanize Democratic voters, and we saw a Democratic surge at the end of the summer into early September. But that has stalled, and now Republicans are closing. They're closing fast, but they were playing catch-up in some key places. So where does that surge and the finish line, what does it look like when they meet on Tuesday is the big question. And uh, undecided voters are looks like they're going to break disproportionately toward Republican candidates. We could see Republican candidates win the vast majority of the closest races, and that could be you know equal big numbers for uh, big numbers for Republicans. And I feel like every election cycle, at least the last few election cycles, we get one of the 
you know, big time pollers or polling aggregators sort of give this, um, you know, sort of a disclaimer or caveat that, hey, this is an inexact science. Um, are we in danger of possibly overestimating or underestimating the strength or weakness of one political party or candidates as we did, you know, you know, in, in 2020, we did not see uh, the Republican pickups that that have, have gotten them to this stage in, in the House. Um, you know, in, in 2016, we famously did not see uh, Donald Trump's victory uh, as, as much in the cards. I mean, the popular vote sort of hung, you know, were, was right on, but the margin of error in the in some of the key states was was something that they didn't account for. Are, do you think that pollsters may be overdoing it uh, with, with maybe like oversampling Republicans since they've left Republicans out of so many of the of the, you know, their their constructions over the last few election cycles? Well, I'll let you know in a few days whether polling was accurate or not. <laughs> I think that I, I'm cautiously optimistic that uh, the polling is going to at least point us in the right direction. The My working hypothesis this whole cycle has been that uh, elections in which Trump is not on the ballot see a, a smaller polling error than than those in which he was on the ballot. You know, 2018, the polls were actually pretty good and were, were I think, closer to, to what happened than in 16 and 20. Um, if these polls are off, I think it is once again underestimating Republican support. Uh, even now, I might not have, uh, during the summer, that might have been a different answer where we were looking at uh, Kansas, where Amendment 1 that abortion measure was defeated 60 to 40 in Kansas. We saw Democratic candidates um, overperforming in five House races. And it looks like, okay, well, are we underestimating Democratic enthusiasm post-Dobbs? But in talking with pollsters over the last few weeks, um, there really isn't a challenge in getting Democrats to talk to pollsters, answer those questions. There is still the concern about both getting Republicans to answer pollsters' surveys and the ones that they are getting, are they a representative sample of the of the larger electorate? So I'm I want to believe scenario A that the polling's headed in the right direction, but if it's wrong, then it would probably be underestimating Republican gains. And we have to remember this is sort of a dead zone for polling, meaning in the last few days there is not a lot of polling because the candidates and the parties have already made strategic decisions. They can't. They can't change, oh, I'm going to take $10 million from this state and move it to another state. Those decisions have been made. So what we're left with, we're left kind of flying blind here at the end. And it's hard to pick up late movement in races because there just aren't as many people trying to poll and identify what the electorate is thinking. And one one thing that does seem to like provide a real contrast that we've been able to track is that Republicans in general have stuck to a, a very consistent message that that the economy uh, sucks, you know, for, to use a scientific term, and that and that the the party in charge, uh, the Democrats and and President Biden and um, House and Senate, you know, majorities of, of Democrats are to blame, uh, and then trailing on on that message, on that broader message, which is they seem to have been very consistent about, has been crime and and immigration, which are. are, are arguably a little bit more base vote, 
you know, base voter, Republican base voter issues. On the Democrat side, it has been a lot about abortion. Uh, and then we've also seen as the, you know, the president gave a speech uh, uh, on, on Wednesday evening at Union Station here in Washington about the threats to democracy, about the fraying of our institutions and election denialism and so forth. And a little bit about the economy. And then there's this hodgepodge of base issues, whether it's marijuana legalization or student debt relief or, or you know, like uh, this sort of cats and dogs approach. And if, again, if we, even if we look at like take into account like a broad margin of error on polling, it seems like what the public is concerned about is the economy. Right. Particularly undecided voters who right now that is a key point of the electorate and where Democrats are facing a real challenge is that the things that Republicans are talking about, either voters are feeling them when they go to the grocery store, when they go to fill up their fill up their gas tanks or whatnot, or they're seeing them on TV all the time and with specifically on crime. Like there is always going to be a crime being committed around the country at some point that the that that voters can, that the news can show and voters can focus on. And some of the things that Republicans are talking about are more hypothetical or future looking. Now, the Dobbs decision made abortion and abortion access more more real than what it has been. But now when Republican, when Democrats are talking about the potential for a national abortion ban, if Republicans get into office, that is something that they're saying could happen, right? But again, voters are looking at the here and now. And if voters haven't decided already what they're going to do, they're probably going to go with that gut feeling of, you know, what, what they are experiencing at the time rather than a deep ideological view on a specific issue. And one thing we're also starting to see too, is that midterms are no longer sleepy affairs. I mean, it, it's it's no longer just about a base, uh, a base voter uh, for the party out of power who shows up in numbers. I mean, these, these have become it seems to me that the and and I think you know some of you you've written about this too that we're seeing more and more people engaged in the electoral process in in midterms, not just in presidential years. Yeah, and every cycle, Jason, we get into this. Well, do you need the base or do you need the middle? And the answer is yes. You you need <laughs> you need both of those. And even though it looks like Republicans are going to do very well, the without the Dobbs decision things would have been worse for Democrats, right? Like if the way you get the big wave elections is when one party's excited, one party's depressed and independent voters flip toward, you know, the, the, the excited, usually out party. But the Dobbs decision did boost democratic enthusiasm. And that has, that has put a lower ceiling on Republican gains this year. Although, even though that momentum stalled earlier, earlier this fall. So I, uh, (laughs) I, I think we're going to have record turnout. We've talked about this. We've talked about this before. It's not going to be presidential turnout because midterm is never uh, as high as a presidential. But because we now have two engaged parties, independent voters engaged because of the the crises or problems that the country is facing, I, I think we're going to have record turnout. And you've written also that there are a few few states in particular. I mean, you 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 look you watch it all you watch all the races, of course. But there are a few states in particular that you're going to look at very carefully on election night to see where things are headed. And uh, if I remember that right, that is New York and Nevada and Oregon. Why don't you talk a little bit about why why you think those are the the states to really watch out for? 
Yeah, these races are like my children, Jason. I love them all the same. They're all special and unique in their own way. Even um, you, Wyoming. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Wyoming was exciting this year, more exciting than what it usually is. Uh, yeah, so I think, you know, if we're looking at batches or, or a few key states, New York, New York has come on online a little bit. Well, let's say it has been in the a part of the cycle because Democrats thought they were going to gain three seats out of New York by drawing the map. The court said, no, you can't. And the, the, the map that's in place is actually much, has many more competitive districts. And now Republicans could win a handful of seats. I think it's worth watching because a number of the competitive seats are in Biden districts, Biden districts where he won between 53 to 55%. But there's kind of a whole batch of them there that are competitive. And if Republicans are winning those type of seats, then they're, they're getting to the upper end of our, our range that we're seeing. Um, Oregon has been fascinating the whole cycle. I am biased toward Oregon because that's where I grew up. Uh, Oregon Republicans have a chance to win the governorship for the first time in 40 years, and they could win um, three additional seats. They have the one Eastern Oregon seat that's been Republican for almost forever, but they could win three other congressional seats. The uh, the fifth district where Kurt Schrader lost his primary. Sixth district, which is brand new because of reapportionment, and the fourth district where Defazio is not running for reelection, and the the same crime and homelessness uh, issues in Portland that are being talked about at the statewide level are also being talked about in the congressional level. And so, depending on if you tell me how many seats Republicans win in Oregon, then I will have a pretty good idea of how good of a night Republicans are having. And a somewhat similar story in Nevada, where. Democrats drew the lines, but they kind of diluted their Democratic district in order to shore up some other districts. And now it's in a position where Republicans could gain up to four seats, get all four seats uh, in Nevada rather than just having one out of four where they are, where they are now. So we're going to watch it all, of course, uh, but those are going to be places to measure a, a potential wave. And in the Senate, I mean, you know, we've we've been back and and forth, you know, like on, on in terms of like who has momentum in different races, whether it's you know toss up races in my home state of Arizona or in Georgia or Pennsylvania or New Hampshire or Nevada or Ohio or New North Carolina or Florida. I mean, like some of these states uh, are more competitive than others. I mean, certainly, it it seems though that it's kind of coming down to the easy math is. Nevada, Pennsylvania, and Georgia, whoever wins two of three is most likely going to be in the majority. Yes, I, I totally agree. And I don't know how those are going to play out. I mean, to give people behind the scenes, look, uh, last night I was on, I was on, uh, we're just on the phone with uh, Jacob and Aaron on, on my, on the inside elections team. And we're going over our final ratings and uh, our projections. And there were these, these long moments of silence where they're waiting as my, I was trying to process like what, what is going to, what is most likely to happen? I mean, we should be aware of all different outcomes, but it, it's tough because a lot of these races are, are incredibly close. Um, and there really is a, there's a, there is a difference of opinion, particularly in Pennsylvania and Georgia about who is winning those races. And I know the natural, the natural thing is to say, well, the parties always disagree on who's winning or who's losing. And that's actually not true that in most races, both parties will acknowledge who's winning and who's losing. They might disagree on the, what happens in the end, but there's just a fundamental difference of opinion, but we're only talking about, you know, point races being within a point or two. So I'm, 
I'm supposed to have certainty at this point in the cycle, Jason, and I feel like I'm less certain than than ever. So what you're saying is on some of these races, there are known unknowns. Correct. <laughs> like Correct. That, that we, that, but, and particularly, you know, I mean, Pennsylvania, I think is just this fascinating, you know, snapshot of, of the country, right? It has, it's, it's a, it, it has major metropolitan areas and, and, in Philadelphia and in Pittsburgh, it has vast, you know, rural areas. It has like very uh, competitive suburbs surrounding those cities. It's got smaller cities like Harrisburg and York, you know, I mean that where, you know, that you have a high concentration of the population and, and like, and kind of Republican areas in, in those. And you've got two candidates who, you know, one, one candidate sort of caught the imagination of the electorate in John Fetterman uh, and another, you know, has the the pop culture, you know, aspect to him too in in Dr. Oz in the Republican side. And, you know, Fetterman looked like he was going to run away with it. And then he had a stroke. And now, you know, so you have like basically two candidates with, you know, a lot of baggage. <laughs> and it is just, I mean, as you said, the, the you know, in a, in a race that'll probably be, just, you know, decided by a couple thousand votes or so, there's just no way to know uh, at, at this point where it's going to go. And, and when we were talking about state capitals, I will plug earlier this year, we went, uh, we took a tour of the state capital in Harrisburg. And it is a beautiful building. Uh, it's a free tour. I don't get any, um, I don't get any, uh, any share of the free tour dividends, uh, <laughs> that, but uh, I would, I would recommend it. Um, I think what we some what we have lost in the past couple of weeks is the reality that Democrats have been winning many of these races and Republicans are playing catch up. We didn't start on a, you know, these are 50-50 races. So now as Republicans are catching up and surging as we talked about at the beginning, will it be enough? And are and are they going to get over the top? You know, Fetterman has been winning the Pennsylvania race since the primary. Um, and Oz has been catching up. Uh, Mark Kelly has been winning in Arizona. Looks like Masters is closing. Uh, so it's we can't forget that this wasn't just a, an even race before some of these major events happened at the end. And in Georgia, uh, if if it does come all down to Georgia, we may not even know <laughs> uh, uh, in the in the in the days after the after election day because unless you get fifty percent plus one uh, in in Georgia. Uh, you will have a runoff and that runoff will be December 6th. I believe it is if, yep. if, if, if one's required, uh, this was the thing that kept, uh, the, the majority, a question mark, uh, in, in 2021 until Raphael Warnock and John Ossoff won the, the two runoffs in that state. It's just sort of fascinating. And I would not have thought that for a second, you know, that Kanye West would be a factor in, or yay, sorry, uh, would be a, a factor in Georgia's Senate race. But again, if, if, if this comes down to a handful of votes and there's, uh, there's somebody who's turned off by, you know, yay's most recent uh, embrace of, of Herschel Walker and support for Herschel Walker and anti-Semitic comments. I mean, is that, that, that just, it, it can't be discounted as, as something that could have an effect on a race that is so close. Yeah. Well, and let's play this out a little bit more that it's possible that we don't know whether Georgia 
is going to be the deciding factor for a few days. If the races in Nevada and Arizona are close, it's going to take a while to count those ballots to determine a winner, which will ultimately tell us whether Georgia, a Georgia runoff is going to be the deciding factor. So I can anticipate that there's going to be some of that uncertainty. And, and I'd be remiss if we didn't just acknowledge that there will be, it will take a few days before we have final results uh, in some key races. Now, we might be able to know broadly, you know, whether Republicans win the House, even whether Republicans win the Senate or not, based on some of the key contests. But we're not going to have final results for quite some time. And that is, and that doesn't mean something nefarious is going on with counting of ballots. It just takes some states longer to, to process. But there also could be some nefarious efforts in terms of the, when it comes to the counting of ballots and the certification of the elections. And, and I, I've told groups here recently, I want to be wrong about this, but I think we are going to go through a tumultuous period with regard to the, the counting of ballots and certification that we haven't seen before. And it could cause some issues since the fight for Congress is so close. Well, a podcast or another time is the aftermath, uh, Nathan, but, um, (laughs) But I, I, I appreciate your insights as always. And again, I, I've always been sort of fascinated by that Rumsfeld thing, you know, the known knowns, known unknowns, unknown unknowns. But it is actually kind of philosophically catchy and useful for, as, you know, as, as we head into this. So thank you very much. And I it would encourage uh, everyone to read, read your columns for Roll Call uh, and just subscribe to Inside Elections, of course. Uh, but if, uh, you know, if if all you have time for is the column, you know, we'll have, it'll be on roll call. <laughs> we got the fresh, fresh ratings, fresh ratings. So check them out at, uh, at rollcall.com soon. All right. Uh, well, thanks again, Nathan. Safe travels back to the Washington area. And thank you out there for listening. Uh, please rate us on iTunes as one does. Tell your friends about it. Subscribe to our newsletter and set, of course, Nathan Gonzalez to all your Google alerts. Uh, thanks again for listening, everybody. Thanks.